0: Good afternoon and welcome to episode 9 of the Dollar Dog Sunday Sports Podcast, presented by Tailgator Sports Media Company. No bullshit takes with a bite. I'm your host, Brian Pulaski. Along with me are my co-hosts, the K-Dog, Dr. Young Buckets, Kevin Pulaski, Cousin Joe, the Mutt Dog, Daniel Mutter, and Glenn Coco Barnett. Boy, the White Sox just clinched their first playoff berth since 2008. The Cubs are in first place and the Bears are not. Life is pretty fucking good.
1: Yeah, uh, Chicago teams are looking... Very dominant so far. I mean, we'll get to the Bears in a minute, but uh, I'll talk about them. But, um, yeah, the White Sox clinching since first time since 2008 is a huge thing. Never thought I'd see it. Um, The team looks very talented. Um, They had back-to-back-to-back home runs uh, yesterday as well. I think that's the second time they did that this year, no? Um, I know they did that earlier this year against the Cardinals, I believe. Um, so yeah, Sox are looking good, Cubs are looking good, and let's hope the uh, Bears keep winning. Chicago's looking really good right now. It's
2: been a long time since the Sox have been good in my lifetime, you know. You guys thought you wouldn't see it. I, I genuinely haven't seen it, so uh, I'm excited to actually watch a good Sox team this year, and you know, hopefully they they can uh, make a good run.
0: Yeah, you got a Cubs team that uh, has obviously been relevant for the last uh, I would say five to ten years, uh, with a, a a more recent rebuild, and you got the White Sox who are trying to kind of follow that mold of, of building young talent and now you're finally seeing that come to the forefront and the fact that both these teams look like they're playoff bound makes things a lot more exciting on both sides of town uh but we're, we're first going to talk about this this white Sox team that uh finally has clinched the playoffs after a uh, drought uh, of quite a few years uh i was 12 years old the last time this happened and we got to watch the blackout game uh the minnesota twins took on the white Sox, uh and there was a Bunch of crazy highlights from this game that uh, maybe we didn't even see coming ourselves. But Ken Griffey Jr. ends up being an impact player in this game, throwing out Michael Kadire at the plate. Uh, Jim Tomey hits a ball that still probably hasn't landed uh, almost, you know, 470 feet away center field. And John Danks, who comes into the game 11-9, and nine, wins his 12th game and, and probably, you know, throws the best game he's ever thrown in a White Sox uniform. And now we have a talented young team in, on the south side going after a World Series championship in a shortened season.
1: Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned John Danks. So I thought that was – to be you. honest, I thought that was John Danks' his only good year. I'm not a big John Danks guy. But um, I think compared to that team with this team, the talent on this team is just so much better. Um, I think in 2008 we had the better coach, but I think in 2012 we have the better team in general. Uh, Hitting-wise, I think our pitching staff is very underrated. Um, You know, Dylan Cease does have some walk issues, but the guy still keeps an ERA under four. I mean, he doesn't give up that many runs, just has to uh, learn how to control more. Um, But then you got Keichel and Giolito who are just dominant in some starts. I mean, it's crazy. So you got those three with Dunning, who's a surprise in the playoffs. I think we're going to be a tough team to beat with those four. I'm a little nervous, though, if we play the Indians, because I know the Indians – match up pretty well with us because they got some lights out pitching as well. So I hope we don't play the Indians in the playoffs.
0: You know what, Joe, you were just talking about um, Dane Dunning as a guy that's obviously made an impact as a rookie starter on this team. But I want to talk a little bit about the unsung heroes of this 2020 White Sox team. Some guys that maybe either haven't had the greatest careers that have kind of turned it on in this shortened season uh, as well as some of these guys who have kind of come on the forefront and really uh, pushed themselves. So some of these unsung heroes, uh, I kind of wanted to highlight uh, during the twenty twenty season. You got a guy like Ross Detweiler, who obviously was a first round draft pick by the Nationals and had a lot of hype behind him, and, I, and really didn't have that that great career that everybody expected him to have. And now, as a, a you know seasoned veteran, this guy gets traded over to the South Side. Has a very mediocre year last year and comes out this year and, and doesn't give up a run in a, a, a multiple appearances he's got a 147 ERA before coming in today and I know he got uh, in a little bit of trouble with the Cincinnati Reds team who I think will also make the playoffs uh, but you know a 147 ERA in 15 appearances as a relief pitcher it has made a big difference in this White Sox uh, bullpen. You got James McCann, a guy who's batting 317 as a backup catcher, six home runs and 14 RBIs. It, it gives you a lot of depth at the position and, and definitely the best tandem in, in the game. Uh, then you got Nick Madrigal and Danny Mendick. Uh, Madrigal, a, a young rookie who uh, was obviously looked at as a guy who was going to make an impact early, but now you're really seeing him. Uh, come into his own and, and really hit the ball both ways with a two forty three batting average, three home runs and six RBIs. The guy, uh, you know, doesn't get the name Nikki two strikes for nothing. I mean, he's a guy that's constantly battling and making it hard and starting pitchers against him. Um, the opposing uh, pitchers that, that face him must obviously think that he's a, a guy that's a pain in the ass to get out. Um, he just continues to to make an impact on the, uh, you know, the front half of this lineup. So just i wanted to highlight a few of the guys the unsung heroes the guys that don't get their dues every day those are the guys that kind of make this team what it is it's a little more uh character driven a little more uh gritty than it has been in the past and i really like the 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 guys who are kind of stepping up and making a difference this year joey your thoughts dan your thoughts i gotta i gotta know what you guys are thinking about this
1: yeah uh, I, i love uh nick magical i think he should be the number two hitter in my opinion the guy's got contact he hardly strikes out that's exactly the kind of guy you want batting in the two spot, a guy who can put up good at bats and make contact with the ball. And you also mentioned James McCann, who I've been saying since the beginning is a great player, a most underrated catcher in the league. I think he should catch every game personally. And I'd like to see grand at DH uh, McCann behind the plate is just in another league than everyone else. And then you haven't mentioned this guy, Matt Foster, this guy, he came out of nowhere he's five and zero. Oh, this guy i mean you'd think he's the starter on the team five and 0 oh, he's got a low era i mean he's he's lights out i saw him yesterday pitch two innings against the reds and they could not touch him i mean the guy has been fantastic i'd like to see him at maybe a future setup man role possibly a closer if we can't uh hang on to Calame. um but yeah i like i like that these guys are all stepping up and as a team we just look a lot better this year
0: and you see a guy like Garrett Crochet who gets uh, drafted in the 2020 draft and comes out and does what he does the other night in his debut, 100, sitting basically 101 miles an hour with a filthy slider. I mean, this is a guy that's got closure written all over him. Another guy to add to the depth of guys that we have in the bullpen that have stepped up this year to make the season what it is. Um, this team is just really exciting. And, I, and, you know, we keep talking about it every episode, and it feels like we're repeating ourselves, but the young talent keeps rising. It keeps getting better, and in every game you see progression from each one of these guys. Even a guy like Robert, who has struggled now for the last two weeks and has been thrown around in the rookie of the year conversation multiple times, he's having himself a lot of trouble uh, seeing uh, sliders from right-handed pitching lately, and it seems like they may have gotten his number when it comes to that, but he's another guy that consistently impacts you one way or another, whether it's his defense, base running ability, or hitting, he seems to always be an impact
1: player on the field. Yeah, even when he's struggling, he's still a good player. I mean, his average went to the low 230s, but, I mean, this is the guy you have to keep in. He's a great fielder. He's got great speed on the base pads. He will figure it out. I mean, he's only been doing bad for a month, if you think about it, just the month of September. It is a shortened season. If this was a 162-game season, you mean, he would have his slumps for sure, but he would come right back. I think he's the kind of player that will adjust back, and I think he could get hot at the right time in the playoffs, which is where we need him to be hot. But, um, yeah, I like Robert. I'm not worried.
0: And, uh, you know, the, the only thing that uh, I think can can hurt this team is uh, injuries. And we saw uh, Tim Anderson today uh, gripping at the back of his hamstring. From, from what I'm seeing now, they're reporting that it was more cramping than anything. Uh, this is a guy that uh, is in line for a possible MVP award or even a split award. And I know Steve Stone tweeted earlier this morning, that he wouldn't be surprised if they saw the first split MVP award since 1979 in which Keith Hernandez of the St. Louis Cardinals and Willie Stargell of the Pittsburgh Pirates ended up sharing an MVP award, which was something that uh, hadn't been done ever in the history of uh, major league baseball. And, you know, we could be seeing that again in 2020. And the fact that these two guys play on the same team would be something almost impossible to happen. Uh, It's, just an exciting year and and another team that's having a very exciting year and a team that we have to cover. The Cubs continue to battle in that NL Central for first place. And now they have our uh, White Sox number one rival, the Minnesota Twins, who uh, are are just a powerhouse team with guys who can hit the home run uh, at any point in time. So the Cubs are are playing good baseball right now. And, And you see the pitching that they're getting out of each one of their starters every night has been if not the best in the national league, very close to it. And tonight's matchup is no different. You've got you Darvish going against Jose Barrios. It's going to be a hell of a game. Uh, I would assume a low scoring game, but you never know with these two offenses, what's going to come out of them. Uh, it's a big series for the Cubs to clinch. And it's a big series for the white Sox to get ahead of Minnesota. And now that we dropped a game uh, today against Cincinnati, you're, you're really hoping that the Cubs can pull uh, one out for us. Uh, and it feels a little, uh, feels like the Northsiders and the Southsiders are getting together and shaking hands when it comes to these two series. Both teams need these wins desperately uh, to continue their playoff push. Uh, Glennie, what are you thinking we're going to see tonight from the Cubs team? And what do you think this Minnesota uh, offense has to offer for tonight against you Darvish?
3: I mean, you kind of said it all. I think it's going to absolutely be a pitching matchup. you uh, Darvish on the mound. I mean, he's been absolutely fantastic this year. Uh, Last start, uh, seven innings pitch, seven strikeouts, two order runs, and he, quote, called it a bad start for me. He was not happy with it, and that's what you want to see out of a guy like that. I mean, uh, no decision. Tonight he's going to come out. Him and uh, Barrios. I mean, I feel like it's just going to be a pitcher's duel. Uh, Low-scoring game. I don't see more than four runs being scored tonight. Uh, Hopefully the Cubs help out on both sides, come out with a uh, victory, which uh, I'm absolutely – relying on, not maybe not relying on, but expecting, uh, hoping for. Uh, talk a little about little bit about Kyle Hendricks, looking great as of late. Um, Friday, uh, eight innings, 10 Ks, gave up three hits and a walk. Jeffers came, closed it up. I mean, this pitching staff is going to be great going into the playoffs. Um, finally, games of the year, we got magic number, number four. I mean, we're looking ahead with that pitching staff. I do not see us. Uh, falling short, I see us making a nice little push run, uh, playoff push, whether that be against the Phillies' first round, uh, possibly Cincinnati' first round. Uh, I'm just hoping Cubs, you know, stay in that number two spot in the NL and uh, don't have to sit there and deal with a uh, very hot uh, Dodgers team early in the playoffs.
0: Absolutely. And and the thing that I think is kind of getting swept under the rug is how big of a series is this is going to be between the Cubs and Sox at the end of the season here. Um It's been a long, long time since I can remember the Cubs and Sox playing a very meaningful series for both teams being first place in their respective divisions. We haven't seen a a series in which these two teams competitively went one-on-one to see if that was going to be something that mattered at the end of the day uh it, it, you know they have the crosstown cup and that's always a thing that's celebrated on both sides of town and obviously it's a great series no matter what because you get to talk shit with your buddies and and you know it's it's more of a religion than it is uh a fandom getting to watch both these teams Uh, go against each other every year and it it seems like this year will be a little different because both these teams are in such a good spot to do something in in the playoffs in Major League Baseball which is why I I hope we get to see uh, a World Series at the end of the year here uh, with both these teams competing in it. Um, Well we got to move on we got the Bears week two Bears hold on to win 17-13 to against their New York Giants rival. Saquon Barkley goes out with an ACL tear. One of the biggest storylines of the week, and I'm sure it's something we're going to hear about. Uh, the New York Giants have to move on without Saquon Barkley, and I don't know if the offense is going to hold up after that. Uh, Mitchell Trubisky goes 190 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 64.3 completion percentage, something that uh, I know Bears fans have uh, ragged on is his ability to get the ball in his receiver's hands, which today he was much better in doing. Is this the same Mitch, or is this a better
1: MVP Mitch we're looking for? Joey. This is is the same old fucking Mitch Trubisky. I don't see any improvement on him whatsoever. I thought he had a better game last week. Again, the Bears continue to play one quarter and not all four quarters. Last week it was the fourth quarter. This week it was the first quarter. Now, you guys got to play a full game hard. You can't just coast. And I think 190 yards and two interceptions is fucking dreadful for a number 2 overall pick. Um, you know, and Montgomery had a great game though. If you want to look at the bright side, Montgomery 82 yards rushing, 45 yards receiving with a touchdown. Um, Darnell Mooney, which I called on Twitter, had his first NFL touchdown of his career and I think we're going to see a lot more from him. I like I like him as a receiver. I like Allen Robinson. Allen Robinson actually struggled today. Um, I thought Mitch's second interception was Allen Robinson's fault, um, but I mean the first interception Mitch threw, you can't throw it into a double coverage like that. It's just, and this is the stuff we talk uh, constantly about. Mitch is his decision making, his inability to read defenses. I mean, he's got to work on that. His scrambling ability is still good. We saw it today. He scrambled. He keeps plays alive, which is good. Uh, I like the Mooney touchdown was probably the best play I've seen Mitch do all year so far even though it's only been two games but that was he kept the play alive found Mooney in the end zone that's what we need to see more of and we need to see less of the bad decision making throwing in a double coverage and telegraphing his passes Mm -hmm. the defense stepped up amazingly today I thought the defense had a lot better game today than they did last week Khalil Mack did a lot better today Akeem Hicks was in every play um Robert Quinn forced fumble Well, well nice to see him back um the secondary did a lot better with Jalen Johnson, and I thought the secondary did good last week too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the run defense was significantly better, and it's surprising against Saquon. But I think if, if Saquon doesn't get hurt, I think the Bears possibly would have lost this game. I mean, this we just squeaked by this game and last week against two dreadful teams. If we do this against teams like the Packers, I mean, I'm just going to say the Packers because that's the team we need to beat. We're going to get killed. And we, we need to play better as an offense. I'd like to see the improvement of the defense. That was nice to see. But the offense needs to improve, whether it be Mitch, whether it be play calling. It just needs to get better.
2: Absolutely. Just to reiterate, uh, the defense did win this game. I mean, uh, Joe mentioned all those players. Eddie Jackson also was in on every play with uh, almost a, a pick six as well. The guy was all over the place. He was in on every tackle. Um, but I think – Mitch proves Joey right every time when he says that Mitch is better on the run. I mean, you saw that broken down play, the check down route to Montgomery, when he made a play and got that touchdown, he was scrambling. I don't know if it's a comfortability thing or if he's just got bad reads with his eyes, but when he's scrambling and looking for an option, like when he, I don't know, when he just has that sense of urgency, I think he just makes, he just makes a better decision. He's more athletic. He's not thinking about it. I don't know what it is, but, um, As Joey said, squeaking by is not going to do it. You know, with the close to two of the worst teams in the NFL right now, you can't you can't be squeaking by on a drop touchdown pass and you know a couple missed field goals here and there. So the question
0: I want to ask everybody then, if we are all in agreement that Mitch is constantly better on the run, constantly a better hurry up quarterback, where is the disconnect between Matt Nagy and the Chicago Bears offense in which we don't run more of a hurry up offense I saw a little bit of it last week and a little bit of it this week but the fact that we don't implement that kind of offensive strategy early on in the game and get ahead of people I don't understand where that disconnect happens can you guys maybe explain that to me a little bit well, well, I don't know well if
2: it's a, I don't know what? if it's a personnel thing but like I think you know, we do have athletic tight ends, but typically with that kind of offense with, you know, two tight ends, three tight ends and a running back, you know, you're kind of going to chew the clock down, you know, work those plays. You're not really concerned about getting in the end zone right away. With that, you're trying to play a little like smash-mouth football and then try to get something open downfield. I don't think it's more of like a Kansas City like hurry up, you know, speed option and and spread offense and all that. I think you're really trying to just chew clock and then eventually score points.
1: Yeah, I mean, Again, it's not just Mitch. I think Maggie has a lot of problems, too. I mean, I think you need to do the hurry-up offense with Mitch. I think he plays a lot better like that. And uh, when you have him roll out of the pocket, it plays a lot better like that. And to answer your question, Kev, about, you know, what is he doing, like what's the difference between that, I think you said it. Like he overthinks when he's in the pocket and trying to make a decision. He overthinks. But when you run a hurry-up offense with a guy like that, I think that Mitch is an instinctive player. I think he plays very well off of instinct, but he kind of when – when he's just in the pocket and has time, he just overthinks. It's just how he is. And Nagy's got to see that. Nagy's got to be like, hey, this guy plays better under the center, not shotgun. This guy plays better in hurry-up offense. I mean, I think what Nagy tries to do, I think Kevin touched on it, is he tries to chew out the clock, which is why he doesn't do hurry-up offense, but even when you're up 17 to 13, that's not a big lead. You've got to have a sense of urgency. Right. I mean, if, if you try to chew clock and then you go three and out and you waste all that time, what happens if the other team scores right away? You're not going to have enough time to come back. Yeah. you need got to keep on capitalizing. you got to keep on building on that lead. You can't just sit on a lead. And I think that is a big Nagy problem, not Mitch. I think Nagy is a big problem with this offense as well as Mitch. I think they both have to figure out what they need to do. They need to communicate better with each other. And I think, you know, Nagy just needs to run that hurry up. I think, I think the hurry up is a big thing.
2: I think they just need to like change their whole entire offensive mentality. You know, I don't think they, I, they need to stop worrying about uh, like time of possession and then scoring enough. Like they just need to go out and win. Like, as you saw in the first quarter, we got a good touchdown with Montgomery and then we got a strip sack. We're up 10, nothing right away. Like, why not just like put it out right there? Like, why not just like step on the gas and, and then just like blow it out of the game? Because like you're going to take the team's morale away and you, so many things are just going to go your way once you got that bigger lead because teams are going to quit. And I just don't know why we just keep squeaking by like, oh yeah, you know, 14 points is good enough. 17 points is good enough. Like it, it's just, it's never over because we just don't let it, 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 it bothers the hell out of me.
3: I just think they're just relying on that defense way too much. <clears throat> they can't continue to rely on them. They're going to start getting tired. The more you're, you're just going to rely on them early in the season, the less they're going to sit there and be there later in the season if they're even competing, which as of right now, looking at it, they're not going to be. They're going to be a sub 800 or a sub-500 team. I mean, they look terrible two weeks in a row against two bad teams two bad teams, two teams that are going to be probably picking top five this year in the draft. And it's just, it's sad to see. It's frustrating to see as a, a Bears fan, as a, a Chicago, you know, guy. And it's its not just Mitch. It's its really not. Uh, I It is Nagy also. That play calling needs to get better. Whether he needs to just focus on being the head coach of a team and hand that playbook off to somebody else to start calling plays. I mean, he's not getting it done. Mitch isn't getting it done. We're going to see that within the next couple of games if Mitch will still be our quarterback, I believe. That week four game will be, the, I feel, the deciding factor of, hey, do we move on from this guy? Is he done? Can, can we put in four quarters together with Nick Foles uh, under center and running this team? Uh, questions will come. We'll see within the next couple of weeks. But not looking uh, forward to watching next week. I think it might be a, a, a rough a rough go for the, the Bears.
2: I think the disconnect between Nagy's offense and Mitch is just the the fact of, like, being a pocket passer. And then, like, because um, I, I know, like, I, I played, you know, I played in high school and college. But, you know, on the run, you're just looking for something to be open. Like, you don't have a responsibility at that point. Your responsibility is just to get yards and don't throw the ball away. Like, don't give it to the other team. So when you when you're in the pre-snap, like when you're when you're a pocket passer, you have so many responsibilities. Now you have to worry about timing. You have to do pre-snap reads. Where where the corners at? Where are the safeties? And then, God forbid, they shift after the snap. And it's just he's you see it. He's looking downfield when the checkdown is wide open. I saw a drag, and he probably would have had ten yards on it. And he threw it into double coverage to Allen Robinson. I mean, you see it time and time again. He he needs to take what the defense gives him, and it just I think that's the disconnect. He's got so many more responsibilities inside the pocket, and then you see him do this thing when he's on the run. You just go, like, what the hell? Where, is that? Where has that been? And I think it's just because his mind is clear.
0: We had a ton of injuries in week two, and I know Dan uh, wanted to highlight some of the big ones uh, coming out of this week's uh, injury report.
4: So, yeah, I mean, if you guys were obviously we were watching the Bears game, we saw Saquon go out. Uh, they think he tore an ACL along with – Nick Boza uh, early in the first half for the Niners. That's a huge thing. They have uh, Drew Locke. He suffered a a right uh, shoulder injury, and he's now in a sling. So they think it's an AC joint problem. So he's going to be – we're looking at, you know, two to six weeks. Uh, What else? We got Devontae Adams with the Packers. He had a hamstring injury. Christian McCaffrey left uh, early with an ankle injury. Uh, Dak ended up uh, coming out of the game early, too. And then we just saw, um, who else? People like Anthony Barr for the Vikings. You got Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play today with the ankle injury. So we've got a lot of people out today. And it's we're still not even done yet with games. So I don't really know what NFL is going to even look like next week. We're going to have a lot of big names out. The, I think the one thing week. that we
0: have to highlight as well as the injuries is the fact that these guys were ramped up as fast as they were with the COVID uh, regulations and the uh, lack of a preseason these guys were more um, at risk to start this season and now that we're seeing some of these bigger names go out similar to how baseball ramped up as fast as they did and now you got guys like Justin Verlander and, and uh other big names getting uh tommy john surgery uh you know uh, blown elbows out early in the season when you ramp up as fast as you do uh in that short amount of time with an athlete i mean you are always at a higher risk for injury and it seems like uh, we're maybe getting to that point where we're going to see a lot of that happening uh it's only week two and you're seeing some of these guys go out i'm hoping that that continues to not uh I hope it doesn't continue to plague the NFL as well as uh professional football uh, viewers uh, seeing some of our favorite players go out and our teams suffer because of it. Um, but we're going to move on from professional football into the college football realm. This will be the first time that the dollar dog Sundays covers Notre Dame football. Uh, Notre Dame blows out Univer- USF, the university of South Florida uh, the big story of the night was that Charlie Weiss Jr., uh, son of former longtime uh, Notre Dame head coach Charlie Weiss, uh, coached USF against his father's alma mater, uh, and it just was a disaster. Um, unfortunately for Charlie Weiss Jr., the team uh, was outmatched with talent, and I believe their long snapper is going to be looking for a job next week.
3: Ain't that the truth. I mean, he, he had as much success as Charlie Weiss did at uh, Notre Dame Stadium. Uh, I mean, 52-0, says enough. That defense came out to play, uh, shutting out. Um, I'm going to talk about their rushing and their offensive line. Their offensive line is probably one of the best in the nation. Uh, Just you got five big brawlers up there pushing defenses back, Um, defensive lines back and just uh, I mean a look unbelievable I mean you could drive a semi through some of the holes they were opening up the time Ian Book had I mean granted he did not have the best passing day of his career but I mean that uh, rushing over 280 uh, 280 yards averaging uh, 6.2 yards per carry six touchdowns on the day uh, rushing on the ground I mean, it's just great to see Uh, what I didn't like to see was Ian Book. Uh, I mean, he just looks shaky, and I don't know what it is. He has plenty of time back there. He can't stop moving his feet. He's not making, you know, the the easy uh, passes, as uh, Coach Brian Kelly would call him, his layups. I mean, he's missing wide open guys, throwing behind him, throwing uh, high, and that's just not – an Ian book that I remember from the past three seasons as uh, a starting quarterback for Notre Dame. And uh, that's something that I am looking forward to. They didn't play well last week against Duke, still end up winning. I mean, looking forward, you're, you can't, you can't do that. Coming up uh, Florida state coming up. You have Clemson, uh, what I believe is the eighth game of the year. Uh, I mean, you can't do that against these bigger teams. You're going to end up losing. And I mean, I feel like you lose one. You're done right now in the college playoff. You, there's not going to be, be many one loss teams. I don't feel. And uh, as of right now, that um, quarterback Ian Book needs to figure his shit out and, you know, start setting his feet a little bit, relaxing, start trusting his receivers. He hasn't, you know, he's lost uh, Chase Claypool, who is tearing it up right now in uh, Pittsburgh with Ben Roslisberger. It's fun to see. Um, but I mean, he does not have those uh, big uh, wide receivers anymore. He has uh New tight end core who, I mean, look fantastic um, between the blocking, uh, catching, receiving. They I mean, the tight ends led uh, in receiving last, uh, yesterday. And, I mean, you can have that. You need to see more out of the receivers. Start trusting them. Uh, hopefully, moving forward, uh, start to look better on the offensive side, defensive side. On Notre, uh, on Notre Dame, always great and one of the top defenses in uh, college football.
0: I think college football uh, is maybe using the same formula that professional baseball is using in this regard. Uh, the fact that there's uh, the same amount of games, but with a uh, an odd amount of teams, obviously there's a lot of teams that aren't going to participate this year in college football. And it seems like uh, each game counts a little bit more because there isn't that opportunity to, uh, have a bowl game at the end of the year because of the lack of the amount of teams that that are you know available to play. So it's not that these teams can't create matchups at the end of the year, but when you drop a game to Duke, if you drop a game to Duke, I should say, in the first uh, first game of the year, you, you have a lot uh, tougher time trying to convince somebody that you belong in a tournament-style uh, game at the end of the year for the FBS. I mean, that's that's something that I think is going to be uh, an impactful thing for them and. I hope that uh, I hope that Notre Dame continues to win no matter the uh, the look of the game uh, at any cost and uh, we get to see Notre Dame make a, uh, a big playoff run here and make a uh, a championship game a BCS championship game for the first time in in quite a few years. Um, we are going to move on from college football though and, and talk about our question of the day and we asked you guys on Twitter. Uh, And a few of you answered, and the uh, winner is going to be Luke Rognes. Uh, He uh, answered uh, with the Minnesota Miracle on this question. Uh, If you could travel back in time to one moment in sports history, where would you go and why? And uh, Luke uh, liked the Minnesota Miracle. And I know that each one of you has written down uh, your own response to this question and given a little bit of a reason why, that uh, would be your go-to and, and why. Um, maybe we'll have you start, Kevin. Uh, where uh, would you go if you can go to any sports moment in history using time travel?
2: Uh, I would like to go see the 2005 Chicago White Sox championship team. Um, I was alive, but, you know, not quite old enough to remember. So I remember certain glimpses and, you know, things like that. But um, the Sox really in my lifetime haven't been, haven't been all that, you know, They've been, they've been struggling, so they haven't had a lot of good teams. But uh, I would like to go back and kind of compare the two to what they are now. I'd like to compare, you know, the 2005 to the 2020 and kind of see maybe some parallels or some things like that. I think, you know, it, it would be cool to um, to see what was actually going on and what it was like to be in that moment um, and what it was like to actually understand, you know, such a, a huge moment in sports history like that um, that, that Chicago got in 2005, because, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't seen that in my life. So, um, that was actually the last sports championship besides the, the, uh, Blackhawks Stanley cup championships. They got three, but, um, I'm not, I'm not all that big into hockey and more, uh, baseball, football and basketball. So, um, I just, I would really want to go see, you know, all those players win that.
0: Give a little perspective, uh, Kevin was almost five by the time that World Series actually happened, so it was a lot of, uh, a lot of games obviously that I got to remember and, and see, and I, I could understand why you would want to go back and relive that uh, being uh, as uh, relevant and, and involved in, in Major League Baseball, you know the fact that you are now a fan the way you are it'd be a, a thing definitely to go back and see and appreciate correctly. Um, but Glenny, what what was uh, your moment, and and why did you want to go back there?
3: Uh, a couple uh, honorable mentions I like was '98 uh, Bulls. I would love to go back and watch that uh, uh, Jordan back and just relive history one last time. Obviously, I'd love to go back to 2016, uh, see a Cubs World Series win. Uh, Another one, my favorite Cub, my favorite baseball player, Kerry Wood, his 20K game I think would be really something to see. But one I chose was the 85 Bears Super Bowl uh, run. Uh, I've seen every single uh, Chicago team bring home a championship, even the Sox. Uh, I mean, we've seen three with – I've seen three in my lifetime with – the Hawks, which have been all memorable. I mean, 17 seconds, you got the Kane, you know, little ghost goal, uh, 2010. I mean, you, it's just championships go on, but 85 bears, uh, never seen a bears championship. Hopefully, uh, maybe within the next, you know, 10, 20 years, we'll see one. Uh, but, um, notable names. I mean, you, you have a running back and Walter Payton who, I think would be awesome to see live and just that the guy you call him sweetness, you see, you know, old films and it's just amazing to watch that guy work and the heart that he put into every single down. Um, I mean, you have a douchebag like Jim McMahon, you know, running the team pretty much who I've met in person, who is still a fucking asshole. And uh, I ended up beating his kid. Well, not I Biden Eagles shout out. Line Eagles, 08, but uh, beat his kid in uh, to, uh in the sectional championship to advance. Uh, and Jim McMahon sat down there with his sunglasses on, probably still drunk from the night before, just pushing people away because he was pissed off. His kid gave up five in the first two innings. But uh, I mean, eighty-five Bears, notable. I mean, one of the best teams, you know. In you you mentioned the Dolphins front what was it seventy-two, but I mean the eighty-five Bears, monsters in Midway. That defense, that uh, offense with you uh Walter Payton I mean something to watch something that I would have loved to uh witness
0: absolutely and you got guys like the uh the fridge William Perry uh stuffing touchdowns at the goal line uh guys like Dan Hampton uh Wilbur Marshall just some Richard Dent I mean the defense there alone was something that I would absolutely love to go back and see uh that's a great pick uh Dan what was your moment in history and why did you choose so
4: uh, my honorable mention was uh, Mark Bealy's perfect game uh, just to be you know, like those last three innings of pure and utter adrenaline. I mean, I think that would be insane to be at. But uh, my my sports moment would be the 95-96 uh, Bulls, actually. I think that that team was insane. 72-10. and 10. Obviously, Golden State won the 73 games where they lost to LeBron. Uh, just how important uh this Bulls run was for Michael Jordan's career. He was first in NBA in points per game. They went 15 and 3 uh in that playoff run and they won their 14 of their first 15. They were out- outrageous uh talking wise. They had 105 points per game which on average it was first in NBA. They only allowed 92 a game and just Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen on the court together for that would have been awesome to watch.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I was really, really young during the Bulls runs, but I mean, watching the last dance and being able to appreciate uh, Michael Jordan on a different level and seeing the type of uh, uh, team uh, camaraderie issues they had in the mid-90s, uh, whether it was Scottie Pippen's uh, issues that he had with management, uh, Phil Jackson's brilliance in, in bringing this team, uh, the multiple championships that it did. Um, take home. It's just something that I absolutely also would love to go back and see. Uh, I was a 96 baby. So I got to uh, be alive during the first uh, three, or I should say the second half of the three. Um, But I was uh, too young to appreciate. So Dan, I I totally feel you on uh, that front. Joey, uh, before I get to myself, you have to give us your pick and why you would want to go back to that moment.
1: All right. Well, I think Lenny's already picked this. It's definitely the 85 Bears. I mean, there, you know, there's a couple Bulls ones I'd like to see, but uh, the McNiff family is very, very heavy on football. And that's why I'm so passionate about the Bears when they do bad. Um, but, yeah, we, the Bears, the, the, we, I've been alive for the Bulls. Don't really remember it, but I've been alive for it. Saw the White Sox, unbelievable. That team, and Kevin was like, if you compare 2005 to now, I'd take 2005 any day, buddy. I mean, that pitching staff was crazy. And then uh, obviously the Blackhawks, um, there hasn't been one, I don't think, since I've been 21 years old and can really enjoy a nice cold brew and watch these guys win. But the Bears, I've never been alive to see it, and I would love to go to 85 and watch that. The best defense ever, unquestionable. You know, Richard Dent, Mike Singletary, uh, Wilbur Marshall, the the, the front seven was just so unstoppable. It's like a brick wall. You can't run through them. And then – Walter Payton, who we'll get to later in the the last segment, he's – and I'll explain why later. I think Walter Payton is the best running back of all time. I'm not being biased. It's just cold, hard facts. Um, Jim McMahon, the fact that that team won with Jim McMahon and they're they're so dominant with Jim McMahon blows my mind because I never thought Jim McMahon was that good of a quarterback. Um, I've seen all these films. My dad's got a bunch of old VHS tapes. He's got some DVDs that he used to show us when we were kids. Uh, watching Walter Payton break every single tackle, it was almost impossible to take that guy down. But I saw Jim McMahon's play, and I'm like, <laughs> "Like we won with this guy? Jesus. I mean, the underrated players, Silky D, Dennis McKinnon, and Willie Galt. Underrated receivers. Those guys were great, man. Um, the offensive line with uh, Hildenberger, uh, Tom Thayer, who's on the radio right now. Shout out to Tom Thayer. Um, you know, just a great team in general. I think Jimbo Covert is uh, recently Hall of Famer. Um, So we got those guys, that offensive line, that defense, that running back. It's just the whole team. I would love to see them. I haven't seen a Bears Super Bowl, and God, please let me see one soon. I need to see one. If we could win with Jim McMahon, this shows, hey, maybe if we put Mr. Biskey on that team, I think they would have won. You know, that's interesting enough. They had an interview with Dan Hampton, and they said, um, would you rather have Jay Cutler or Jim McMahon on that Super Bowl team? He said Jay Cutler. I think Jay Cutler with the team we have now would be good. I mean, just saying. But, yeah, that 85 Bears team, you can probably put any quarterback there and they'll be dominating with that defense. So that that's definitely the moment I'd go back to see and get drunk off my ass watching them win.
0: Absolutely. I, you know, Joe, I think we've all longed for a uh, another Bears Super Bowl run. Uh, we obviously got to see one in 2006, and we uh, fell short to Peyton Manning and the Indianapolis Colts. But it's something that uh, we haven't seen yet is a Bears Super Bowl victory, and I think you're speaking it into existence. And similar to you speaking a Bears Super Bowl into existence, I want to talk about my moment. I struggled uh, – With multiple uh, baseball events, because obviously I'm a very baseball-centric person, Uh, I definitely wanted to pick something uh, from the baseball realm to choose as my number one moment in the history of sports for me to travel back to. Uh, I was between a few. My two honorable mentions I want to speak about our uh, Jackie Robinson's color barrier breaking moment. Uh, it's such a monumental uh, moment for professional baseball in general, as, as well as the African-American community. Uh, I also wanted to talk about my second honorable mention, which was Dom Larson's perfect game in the World Series uh, as part of the Yankees. Uh, But both of those did not trump my number one moment. And because Joey's speaking the Bears Super Bowl into existence, I want to speak the Cubs-White Sox World Series into existence. And I would like to travel back to 1906 and watch the hitless wonder White Sox take on the Chicago Cubs and win the World Series. I would love to see a Crosstown World Series. And the last time it happened, none of us were even a thought. Our parents weren't even a thought. So um, I would love to go back to that time. Uh, The Chicago Cubs uh, posted the highest regular season win total and winning percentage in the major leagues that year. And uh, the Chicago White Sox were known as the Hitless Wonders, and the reason they were called that was because they had the lowest batting average in the American League, but were carried on the back of Ed Walsh, one of the greatest White Sox pitchers who has ever played the game. Uh, Hall of Famers also in this series included George Davis, Mordecai Three-Finger Brown, or Two-Finger Brown, whatever you want to call him. Frank chance, Johnny Evers, Joe Tinker. This game was loaded with stars and hall of famers at the time, guys who were uh, larger than life. And I feel like going back to that moment and seeing players who were all time greats, then I really want to know, would they hold up in today's baseball game? Uh, my heart of hearts says no. Uh, you know, I, I would really love to see what the skill level was back in 1906. Uh, you know, we're finding out more and more that, you know, the guys that they were calling uh, fireballers in 1906 would be uh, high school pitchers today. Um, it's something that I would really like to go and experience and see for myself. Uh, not to mention, you know, the White Sox end up pulling uh, four games out of this series to a, Cub- a Chicago Cubs two game winning uh, uh, streak. And, uh, Man, I, I just I keep speaking into existence, boys, but this 2020 World Series is calling these two teams names. So I'm hoping uh, that we can get back to a, uh, a world in which both these teams are considered for a, a long postseason run and a, and a world in which we get to see this actually happen today. Uh, but we're going to move on from our uh, question today, and we're going to go into the last segment of the day, which is always a day in the history of sports. September 20th, 1987, Chicago Bears' Walter Payton breaks Jim Brown's NFL record with a 107th rushing touchdown as the Bears beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 20-3. to Sweetness, the GOAT. Whatever you may call him, Walter Payton has touched the lives of many people in Chicago and has always been considered one of the greatest football players, let alone running backs, ever in the history of professional football. Boys, I know we didn't get to see the man play. He was gone too soon, but never forgotten. Um, what is a moment uh, maybe that you guys could remember, whether it was a, uh, a story that your father may have told you, your, your parents, your grandparents, or uh, maybe uh, a documentary you watched or... Maybe just something that reminds you of a Walter Payton-esque moment.
1: Well, um, I don't know if you guys watch the Football Life on NFL Network. They got a bunch of those. Uh, they had one of Walter Payton that me and my old man and a couple of my brothers uh, watched the whole the whole hour of it, and they just had highlights of Walter Payton. And I mean, I think there was a game against the Chiefs where he broke nine tackles, and they all tackled him behind the line, like touched him behind the line of the scrimmage. This guy had no offensive line in this game. This was before the 85 Bears. They, they all made contact with him behind line scrimmage, broke all those tackles, and got a first down. I mean, it was it's ridiculous. The guy's legs are like refrigerators. And um, the reason why I said earlier that I think he's the best running back of all time is that most of his career, he didn't have the best offensive line, and he played outdoors in the cold, cold Chicago Soldier Field Stadium. I mean, most of these guys, like I love Barry Sanders, but he played indoors. I love um, Evan Smith is a great player, but I think Evan Smith was on a stacked team, also indoors. I think that it makes a huge difference if you play outdoors compared to in in a dome. And I think you know it's just so much so hazardous to run in those that those uh, conditions. And in Chicago, of course, you know there's rain, there's snow. I mean, Chicago weather is could be a bitch sometimes. And Walter Payton still had great games in those conditions, and that's why I think he's the best running back of all time. I mean, I know the stats say at Smith, but if you watch the film, it's easily Walter Payton and the, the amount of tackles he breaks and the conditions he had to play in.
3: I couldn't agree more, Joe. I mean Walter Payton, hundred uh, percent best running back in my opinion, also. But what um, what I remember is uh, everyone talks about, you know, the flu game that Jordan had. Uh, Walter Payton had one of his own if you want to say it in 77 uh, season uh, where he rushed for 275 yards against the Minnesota Vikings while having the flu and that's something that uh, I remember hearing about had something I've read about it's just unbelievable to you know be able to play the game of football at that high of a level and do something only one other person. And it was done by Corey Dillon from the Bengals uh, broke it. uh, I'm not sure what year, uh, but I mean, 275 rushing yards. That's ridiculous. Uh, Something that's never going to probably be touched again uh, with this passing heavy uh, NFL we have nowadays.
2: I mean, you guys saw, or maybe you didn't see, but the the eighty five Bears thirty for thirty, uh, that was also a really good one. That's my favorite thirty for thirty, obviously. Uh, pretty biased, but uh, before Jim McMahon, they had mentioned, you know, it was Walter Payton left and Walter Payton right was the offense. You know, toss left, toss right, and um, just the grit that that guy had. He didn't ask to go to another team. You know, it's not like it's not like it was today. You know, he didn't get traded. He didn't ask for any more money. Um, he just had so much pride in what he was doing and he never went down. You would see, you know, the whole um, front defensive line coming after him with the linebackers and everything. He's three yards behind the line of scrimmage and somehow makes like a five yard gain. Um, that's something that I, that I admired as a football player, just to have that never give up mentality. And um, he, he's the greatest running back on the bears and he's the greatest running back there was. Uh, for me, he's, he's the GOAT, in my opinion.
4: Yeah, for me, I mean, Joey touched on it with the breaking tackles thing. Just watching the highlights of him just shredding people off of him, it was incredible to watch. I mean, I would have loved to see it, you know, in real time. I think the the headband that he used to wear is is funny to me nowadays because you don't see guys like that rocking that. Uh, also, he he threw the ball pretty well. I mean, you got to give it to him. In some of those plays, he's got touchdown passes. I mean, he could, he could probably uh, – put Mitch in the running for quarterback right now but you know you guys have said it all Walter Payton, man he's a great guy sweetness and he was gone too soon for sure
0: yeah Walter Payton, that's a great point Dan uh has multiple uh touchdown passes uh he was a guy that uh really could do it all and it always reminds me of that Friday Night Lights scene where Booby Miles is throwing the ball down the down the side of the uh field and he can't (laughs) pass yeah so I mean the fact that this guy was a, you know, a five tool athlete before there were, you know, considerations for five tool athletes. I mean, seriously considered one of the best football players who's ever lived and a guy that obviously impacted bears football for the better, um, a long time, uh, uh all time great. And just somebody that was, uh, sorely missed after being gone too soon to a, a terrible disease that, uh, is just tragic. Um. But uh, that's, that's the end of the episode, boys. Episode nine is in the books. Uh, it feels great to continue to do this with you boys, and uh, I hope all you out there are enjoying this. And thank you for listening uh, week in and week out. We appreciate all the support. Uh, please uh, hit the subscribe button, drop a comment, let us know what we're doing right, let us know what we're doing wrong. We love to uh, uh, get you guys uh, connected and, and keep you guys in the loop about what's going on uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, we also will be dropping some shirts at some point. I know people are very excited about that. Uh, the, de- the designs are made. It's more of uh, just figuring out the uh, details and where these things are going to get printed. So thank you guys for your support. Another day, another Dollar Dog Sunday.